You are Locked On MLB, your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast we talk about all of Major League Baseball, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Today's episode, which is being dropped on the 17th day of June 2020, I have on returning guest. It's Gabrielle from Lockdown Red Sox and Girl of the Game. And we are going to be talking a little bit about the Red Sox. Hang tight. No labor talk here today. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection. Reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. You can follow us at the free and easy-to-use Himalaya podcasting app. Also, you can find us on any platform where you get your podcasts. You know how to listen to a podcast. You're listening to one right now. You can find us on Twitter at LockedOnMLB underscore net. You can find us on Instagram at LockedOnMLB. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Yep. I'm tired of talking about labor. I'm tired of talking about viruses and everything. I want to talk about things that are fun. And the present isn't fun. The future is unknown. But the past was pretty fun. And who do we have back here? Gabrielle, girl of the game, locked on Red Sox. Great to have you back. Thanks so much, Sully. It's great to be back. Yeah, it's been uh, weird doing a baseball podcast when there's no baseball to be done but you know we can have some fun we're finding topics to do and and uh you and i are both have grown up big red sock fans and i think if there's a silver lining to all this we haven't had to watch bookie bets as a dodger absolutely i mean that was definitely something i was dreading so you know i mean i feel terrible for dodgers fans and for the dodgers themselves because that sucks but selfishly yes very happy that i don't have to watch mookie bats be a dodger yeah it's god it's well you know i love mookie bats he's a homegrown red sock who naturally they let get away but we can't complain too much because the world that i grew up in in the late 70s through the 2000s where the notion of the red sox winning a world series title was something that was beyond the uh, be, it was beyond the metaphysical realm it was like it was something i couldn't even comprehend and now we have four of them to choose from even if they take away 2018 because of of cheating we still have a gold medal and a silver and a bronze so we have these are good times for us these have been good times for us but i want to ask you a couple of questions i'm going to do we're doing a little game here because I've been, you know, going on YouTube rabbit holes of baseball and to fill this void. And I've been thinking a lot about the four teams. And I've also been thinking about other years that were super fun. I want to do kind of a uh, like a first memory association with you. And I will tell you people, I did not tell Gabrielle really 100% what we're doing here. I didn't give her anything in advance because I want everything to be the first image that pops into your head when I say certain things, say certain names, say certain years of Red Sox them. 
And you and I are different ages, but we have experienced a lot of great Red Sox fandom. So I want to do that with you here because it'll be hopefully spark some memories and also see specifically what we're remembering. Let's so do it. Let's go do it. Okay. Now let's, let's focus on the big ones first. Let's focus on what I call the big four. And, and when I say the big four, the big one, I say 2004 Red Sox, absolute honesty. First thing that pops in your mind is what? Manny Ramirez. Really? Cool. Yeah. Because he, um, he was my, he was probably my favorite player at first from that team. I mean, and then I was like, wait, no, it's David Ortiz. But being like 11 years old during that season, 10, 11 years old, um, he was just so he had such a big personality and the hair and like the home runs. Um, and also because he was in the airport one day and my parents were also in the airport and my mom was like, that's Manny Ramirez. We should get his autograph for the girls. And my dad chickened out. So my mom went over and got it and she came home and she's like, guys, I got you Manny Ramirez's autograph. And it was the day that he'd become an American citizen and ran out onto the field, waving the flag. Oh, I remember that. That was, was that no five? It was no five, but right, it was right. one of the reasons like he, because my mom knew that it had been, um, it, like that he had been my favorite player from the year before because uh, I had saved, it was like, there was this thing that they put in the Boston Globe or Boston Magazine or something uh, during that 04 year calendar year it was like at home with the champs or at home with the socks or something and it was manny and one of his kids i think were either on the cover or like were the main photo of the, the piece and i saved it like i saved all this stuff i like literally have the um the boston globe 2004 official commemorative book sitting staring me in the face right now on the coffee table the one that says finally in giant like size 50 white letters times the <laughs> Roman font. Um, so it was Manny for me was the big, the first, the first big thing I really remember of that season. Um, and then obviously David Ortiz pretty close second. Um, Do you know what for me is, and, and I, and I'm, this is, I guess the thing that sparked me to want to do this with a Red Sox fan, because I was the first image when I think of 2004, and it surprised me that this was the first image I had in my head of 2004, is the Johnny Damon Grand Slam in Game 7 against the Yankees. That moment was a watershed moment for me as a fan because it was the first moment that I allowed myself to think, they're going to win this. Because up until that point, I mean, it, it's all written... The, the history of the Red Sox is always written like in retrospect and with hindsight and everything. But in 04, I was a nervous wreck, you know, even after the Sox won game four, the Dave Roberts steal and eventually, you know, Bill Miller's hit and the poppy home run. I was on the, uh, I'm going to brag a little bit. I was on the HBO special reverse the curse of the Bambino. And when they go through that particular game, they cut back to me and I said, I was pissed because I was ready to let go, especially after the brutality of 2003. I said, nope, they're getting swept this year. Let's move on. Let's move on with our lives. And to then be woken back up 
that I could have emotionally have handled a sweep. That would have been humiliating, but at least you'd be able to say, yeah, the Yankees were better. But when they won game four, I was mad because I'm like, oh, they're, they're dragging me along. They're going to do it to me again. And there was the 14-inning marathon. And I was there for game six when they slapped the ball out of a Royals glove. But for, let's not forget that Derek Lowe started game seven. Derek Lowe was terrible in 2004. They removed him from the rotation in 2004. He wasn't he, even supposed to be on the on the roster. Right. It was when, only because... And then he started every deciding game of the postseason. <laughs> and yeah, that, that the only reason he started game four was because they had to use Tim Wakefield out of the bullpen in game three, and they had to use Arroyo out of the bullpen in some of the extra inning games. And so they they couldn't use Wakefield and they couldn't use Bronson Arroyo. So they had to use Derek Lowe, who was like on two or three days rest after a horrible season. And we're all like, oh, my God, they, they tied the series and they're handing it to Lowe. And I'm thinking this could be a 13 to 11 game. This could, I can't my body can't handle this. And when they removed Brown, they brought in Vasquez. And then on the first pitch. Johnny Damon hit a grand slam. And I remember I was at my buddy Richie Duncan's apartment because I I couldn't go to a bar. I could not be in New York at a bar watching Game 7. I had to be amongst other Red Sox fans. And the second he hit that grand slam, my body went into a state of relaxation. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to win this. They're going to win this. And then he hit the second home run, and the Yankees put a few runs off of Pedro, but then – Bellhorn Homer, they tacked on another. Then by the end, it was a it was a route. But I'll, I just remember that was the moment that I allowed myself to think it's going to be different this year. It's going to be different. And so it's funny that there's so many huge memories, whether it's the bloody sock or this Robert Steele or the Ortiz homers or all the other stuff. But that first image I have is the Grand Slam by Johnny Damon. So there you go. And, and the the only visual from the World Series, because the World Series was such a blur, and it's kind of an anticlimactic blur, the the image from the World Series that I remember the most is when they were running on the field, um, Pedro with his arms up in the air, because Pedro is my favorite player. And I so love the fact Pedro. That he's, he's my favorite player. So there you go. He's also one of the nicest people in the world, like... I, would, I so want to know that. Oh, by the way. I've met him twice, and he's an incredibly and, – and the crazy part was that the first time I met him, he was incredibly kind. The second mm-hmm. time, he remembered me, and I was like, I can literally go die now. I can die happy. Pedro Martinez remembers who I am. By the way, speaking of dying now, I'm going to plug something of yours. I'm going to give you a plug right now. <laughs> your, tell people your other podcast, not your Lockdown Red Sox, but what your other podcast is called. It's called the Girl at the Game podcast. It is. And who did you have as a guest? Keith Folk. You had Keith Folk as a guest. And he was great. He was great. You liked it? Oh, it was was a great episode. I loved it. Yeah, he got really deep with us about like his divorce and his mental health and all and like his biggest regret of his career, all this kind of stuff. I mean, he I mean, we we. I think he felt comfortable because we've been friendly for a couple years. And so it wasn't just like a random like podcast appearance that he was doing. Like we like it's it it's crazy to me, but like we text and stuff, which is weird um, in the best way. 
but he got he got deep with us like we were just gonna like you know talk some shit about the 04 yankees and stuff and he was like this is my biggest regret blah 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 um you know, I need the, like, I need the minor leaguers. I, I advise more than they need me, all this kind of stuff. Um, the thing that broke my heart listening to, cause he, he did, he, he opened up some wounds and, and talked about real hurt of stuff that was going on in his life. And you sometimes forget that these are not baseball cards, that these are human beings who are sometimes going through stuff and he went through the greatest moment of his career which is his spectacular and i think underappreciated uh 2004 performance in the postseason and he got only to have... gave up one earned run he had a zero era for two out of the three series and if he had let up if he was less than spectacular if he was merely excellent against the yankees then the yankees would have won that series because he kept throwing inning after inning after inning and the Yankees could not scratch a run off of him. And that, more than anything, sealed the deal. But he was going through a very bad divorce at the time. And he talked about that. And he talked about the fact that he didn't have surgery after the 04 season. And that probably cost him the 05 season. And I remember that year being super frustrated at Folk because he was so great in 04. And he pitched himself off the roster in 05. And eventually was on the DL. And hearing it from his point of view of what was happening and that he should have had the surgery, but he was stubborn. It was a really and raw emotional interview. And now he's like in, you know, he's in, was it Arizona? And he's taking pictures of the sunset and becoming one with nature. It was a really, really great episode. I really thought it was you, the, the two of you did a great job and had the good sense of allowing him to go to places that probably weren't in your notes that made it so much more interesting than your typical baseball player interview. Thank you, Sully. Yeah. I mean, it was like, we finished that episode and we turned off the recording and I was like, Oh my God, that was amazing. Like I, I was literally, I was shaking mm -hmm. from how excited I was. And that episode, I mean, some, some episodes we really have to edit a lot just because of bad sound quality or um, somebody's not, succinct enough like we have amazing guests but not, not everybody is a, a you know a podcast familiar person and for example i for our fan interaction thing that we are doing this week on locked on my first fan interaction is i'm having my grandmother on the podcast my grandmother is 86 years old and my grandmother listens to my podcast but obviously has never been on one mm -hmm. so that episode is going to take some editing yeah uh <laughs> but with Keith, I mean, I barely had to do anything to that episode and it was so much fun, but also such an honor that he felt comfortable enough to like really talk to us about being like, you know, they told me I needed the surgery, but I needed baseball because my personal life, I was getting divorced. My personal life was a mess. I was depressed. I couldn't lose my, my, my marriage and baseball at the same time. Like I couldn't do it. And it was so relatable. I mean, you think about like, regular life and how it feels when everything is falling apart at the same time, as opposed to when one part of your life is falling apart, but you have the other things to fall back on. Like if your job sucks, but you have a great significant other who's there for you. And so coming home makes it all okay. Or in reverse, if you have a really crappy personal life situation, like you're going through a breakup, but you can lose yourself in your work. And so it was very relatable for Keith to be like, I couldn't lose both because then I would have nothing. 
Yeah. Oh, it was it was it was wonderful, and and so I'll leave a link to it on uh, the on my account. What is it? What we call we call that thing Twitter, right? We call that Twitter. But uh, I, have no idea. Leave- I don't use social media. <laughs> Uh, there you go. Couldn't even say it without laughing. But um, yeah, so that was really great, and that was uh, I wanted to take the time to to tell you uh, how wonderful a, how wonderful a spot that was. That was really a great a really great podcast there. And um, all right, if we're gonna. Like- if you like that one, I'm just going to say you should also listen to our most recent one because we had Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, mm-hmm. on, and he is such a treasure. And if you are if you are anybody who is bumming out right now, whenever Bob Kendrick speaks, he lights up mm-hmm. the room. He is the most uplifting, positive ray of light in this very dark and uncertain world. Like every time I have interviewed him for something, it has always been in like the worst circumstances. Like the first time I interviewed him for work and not just like talk to him, it was because the Negro Leagues Museum was vandalized by racists. Oh, God, I forgot about like that. Two, That's right. two years ago. And so, you know, they had just been preparing to open up this brand new part of the museum that was, you know, took years and tons of money. And it was such a labor of love. And it got vandalized by terrible racist people and set them back months, maybe over a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we're, we're working together for the first time under the worst circumstances. And he still was so positive and then again you know i interviewed him for girl at the game podcast and it's in the middle of a global pandemic and baseball is falling apart and he's still so positive and every time i speak to him like the warmest voice and he just it's like filling up it's like when you come if it's like when you go outside and you're in the cold all day and you come home and you make a mug of warm tea or cocoa with marshmallows and you like you feel it warming you up from the inside out that is what it is like, or like a great bowl of soup. That is what it is like to speak to Bob Kendrick because he just warms your heart and like just turns your day around. So if you are a person who loves baseball, but you are struggling right now, like most of us are, uh, it is not a plug for me. It is like a hundred percent a plug for Bob Kendrick that the latest episode of the podcast, he was our very most special guest and, like even editing that one, I was just so happy to be editing that because I got to hear him talk again. So. Well, it's funny. Like uh, he was a guest on the old Sully baseball podcast, but I'll leave a link to your uh, show as well. I talked about Bob Kedrick on yesterday's locked on MLB because I was talking about how I believe baseball needs a third branch of government as it were. If you have the Players Association representing the players, you have the commissioner who's representing the owners, you need someone who would be like the great arbitrator to who has the best interest in baseball in mind. And I wanted it to be Bob Kendrick. You I and I that. both said that yesterday on Twitter that we thought Bob would make an incredible – commissioner um, or leader of some kind for baseball. Yeah. I, and I, we, agree. we both said commissioner and then I gave it some thought because I said, well, that's not the commissioner's job. The commissioner is to, the commissioner represents the owners. We need a third arbitrator with a, with the best interest in mind. And I would feel so relieved if that role was handled by him. He's a, he's a man of great passion and a great integrity 
great intelligence and great humor and loves the game. And if you never for a nanosecond wonder if he had the best interests of the games and the fan at heart because of everything that he's done. And so it's funny, you brought him up here and I brought him up yesterday and we've both interviewed him. You probably, I, I interviewed him a couple of years ago, but you've, you've interviewed him more recently. Um, but, you know, I interviewed him once and he still communicates with me and is really, you know, remembers his appearance and everything. And a wonderful, wonderful man that I, I'm very proud to have, you know, been able to interview and, and you've done a great job uh, interacting with him as well. And we need more Bob Kendricks in this world. I, I mean, if baseball, I, so I was going to tweet about it yesterday, but it didn't have, I, I ran out of characters, which happens a lot because I'm passionate and I just didn't have the emotional energy left after everything that baseball put me through yesterday to mm. try and condense it into a tweetable number of characters. But I basically said that if baseball actually valued the things it's supposed to value, which is the players, the fans, the actual game of baseball itself, then Bob Kendrick would be the perfect commissioner of baseball. Yeah. But because it doesn't value those things, yeah, well, we have it, a different kind of commissioner. And that commissioner reinforces the things that baseball is currently about, which only makes it worse. And so it's a vicious cycle of the chicken and the egg because until until you kind of hit like a reset button by putting someone incredible like Bob who has the right kind of values into it, it's only going to get worse. And we're seeing that right now in real time that like, I mean, every day I think it can't get worse and then it does. But I mean, we're, we, <laughs> we're going back to exactly what we said. We yeah. weren't going to. Well, do you want, we need, do you want baseball needs to repair itself? Just like sometimes I need to repair my car, but do you know what? I got to tell you something. When I go to a chain store to get something for my car, they sometimes their prices are all out of the place, all over the map because they have different prices for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So let me tell you something, Gabrielle. You didn't know I was going to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about rockauto.com. Are you ready? I'm ready. Their prices are the same for everybody. For you, for me, if Bob Kendrick came in there, if Pedro Martinez came in there or some mechanic came in there, all the prices reliably low. Let me tell you. Sit down. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices popular. Rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do, RockAuto.com is for everybody. Doesn't require membership. No account login. And the catalog, the RockAuto.com catalog is unique and it's easy to navigate. Do you know who can navigate it? I'm going to stun you. I can't. And I am a simian. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, choose the brand, specification, and the prices you prefer. And the prices are always reliably low, same for, for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Let me ask you this question, Gabrielle. Why would you spend twice as much for the same parts? Why? Answer me that. Because, well, the only person who would spend twice as much money for the same parts is the same kind of person that would give John Carlos Danton his contract, so not a smart person. Exactly. And this kind of smart person would go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. You may say, Where's, what about a truck? Use a truck too. Right locked on on their how did you hear us box so they know that we sent you. And by we, we mean Sully and Gabrielle. Amazing selection. 
reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Okay, we're going to talk about the other Red Sox years, but I'm I'm starting to run out of energy. I need I need something I need something a little boost here. I need a little something going on here. You know what I'm going to do, Gabrielle? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grab me a Built Bar. You know Built Bars? I know you know Built Bars. Of course, I know Built Bars. I'm on the Locked On Podcast Network. That's right. But even if I wasn't, I would say that these are the best tasting protein bars ever. They're tasty. They got great flavor. Now let me tell you, my personal favorites are the German chocolate cake. Boom, great. The mint brownie, boom, great. My favorite one, guess which one my favorite one is? Guess. See if you know. What is my favorite one? Um, it's either got to be one of those new flavors that they launched last month, uh, like the mango peach thing, mm. or I'm going to go with what my boyfriend's favorite is, which is the peanut butter chocolate fudge brownie flavor. That one's great. Peanut butter brownie is great. And or that's that only- caramel one. Nah, the peanut butter brownie one's great. It's got only 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams sugar, 3 grams net carb. And it's great for trying to lose or maintain weight. It's for health conscious, but that's not my favorite. My favorite, chocolate raspberry. That's what I meant. Not cherry. I meant raspberry. Yeah, but do you know what? You didn't say it. Therefore, you don't get the points. You know why I didn't say it? Because I'm tired because I don't have a built bar. Grab yourself a Built Bar. In fact, you should all do that. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Okay. Let's stay on focus here. Okay. We got three more of these to do, and and we have a tendency to get sidetracked because that's how we're wired. Okay. I'm going to say another year. First image, it's the first thing that pops in your head when I say 2007. Boom. Mike Lowell. Mm, okay, cool. And here's, yep. why, here's why, though, because I was talking about this this morning about how teams do kind of throw-ins when they do trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, they pack, you know, package deals because I was talking to the guys at locked on Astros. We were recording a a crossover as well. And we were talking about how the Mookie David price trade was really a salary dump, as we all know. And, you know, they could have agreed to eat part of price's salary and a bunch of teams would have still taken him because he is a good pitcher, uh, not all the time. And he has health issues, but we saw in 2018 what DP can do. I mean, he's a former Cy Young winner. He's David yeah. Price. Yeah. It was a salary dump. And they needed a young star to package with him to get the deal done. And they're still eating part of David Price's salary. I think they're eating like $20 million of the total remaining cost. So great. But it's I said it's kind of like the Robinson Cano-Edwin Diaz thing with the Mar- uh, the Mariners and the Mets where they wanted to unload Robinson Cano, so they packaged him with Edwin Diaz. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how the Mike Lowell thing, Mike Lowell was kind of like the add-on. In the Josh Beckett. In the Josh Beckett trade. And then Mike Lowell ended up being the MVP. Yeah. Well, think of the, the two, the two uh, postseason MVPs that year were Josh Beckett and Mike Lowell. Yeah. Uh, they don't give out a division series MVP, which I don't understand why they don't do that. But that probably would have been Ortiz because Ortiz batted like 700 against the Angels. But uh, uh, Beckett was spectacular against Cleveland. And Lowell, of course, had the wonderful World Series against the Colorado Rockies. So to me, 
that's the uh yeah did you like that i feel like that postseason gets overlooked so much because it's sandwiched in between 04 and 2013 which in addition to being really good from a performance standpoint by the red sox they had the the 04 and the 2013 had this really strong narrative like in 04 Mm -hmm. it was the reverse the curse overcoming the yankees the band of idiots and in 2013 it was obviously the boston strong this is our bleeping city season with david ortiz batting like over 700 until game six of the world series because the cardinals wussed out and just intent walked him the whole time and 2007 was just like a purely excellent baseball team devouring the Colorado Rockies like there wasn't really yeah huge narrative kind of storybook situation I mean even 2018 before everything went down this winter 2018 was like Cora um Cora damage done JD Martinez replacing David Ortiz like Mookie Betts being the best player in baseball like you had a lot of and the damage done of course being the like the overarching thing but like even 2018 had I feel like more of a narrative because they won a franchise record 108 wins and it was the first yeah. time they'd won 100 100 plus wins since 1946 like 2007 is just like a purely good season and so I feel like for that weird reason alone it gets very overlooked the uh the image that I have of 2007 is the JD Drew Graham slam in against the Indians because remember the Red Sox were down three one, and they came back against the Indians. But the games, game seven was closer than the final score appeared. The Red Sox piled on in the last two innings, but games five and six were blowouts. And JD Drew, who was awful the whole year, hit that grand slam in the first inning off of the person who at the time we called Fausto Carmona. And that basically was a sense of, oh, they're going to win this series, aren't they? And it was the one moment of J.D. Drew's heroism that he wound up having a great World Series, too. Yeah. Uh, and actually had a very good next year. But that was the first thing that I think of. It's funny that there are more memorable moments in 2008 than there were in 2007. Because 2008 had the walk-off Jed Lowry hit in the post in the division series against the Angels. It had the wild game where they were down like seven or eight to nothing to the Rays. And then they had the wild comeback that ended on the J.D. Drew walk-off. And like there were more dramatic – I remember more dramatic – and the game seven was a classic, the one which ironically David Price came out of the bullpen to clinch it for Tampa. But I remember that postseason more than I remember the 07 postseason, a year they won it all. So it was uh, – you're right. It is that 07 seemed to exist as a year to shut up people saying, well, you're not going to win another World Series for another 86 years. Like, no, we won one this year. But the reunion of 07 would be filled with players who did not leave Boston on great terms, like Papelbon and Euclid and Beckett and Daisuke and Drew – uh, there's a lot of players that it just sort of it ended kind of ugly when they left Boston. And uh, it will be funny to have uh, an 07 reunion. It just wouldn't feel as cute and cuddly as some of the other ones. Yeah. Uh, no, to- I mean, totally. I have a, um, I have a, I have a 
question for you of my own about mm. 2004, actually, which is when they won the ALCS, did you feel like, okay, they're winning the World Series? In 04? Yeah. Yes. I didn't doubt it for a second. I, I just feel, I mean, and I talked to Keith about this on our pod because he's, you know, he, and he kind of laughed and he goes, well, you, you kind of, you remember like the Cardinals were really good. Um, I said, yeah, but the Yankees were the evil empire that you had to overcome, especially after 03. And he said, I mean, there was definitely confidence, but we still had to beat the Cardinals. And I'm like, yeah, but you swept, you swept the Cardinals. Like there wasn't yeah. even really a contest. Um, but for me, I mean, I was young. I was like 11 years old, but I just remember, and and part of it is just because I've watched the 04, like the official MLB movie mm -hmm. so many times. And they say it in the movie. They're like, kind of once we overcame the Yankees, we felt like it was ours for the taking. And it really seems that way. I mean, people, people seem to remember what it was like when we were the Yankees bitches. Yeah. And, and Yankees fans were, I mean, Yankees fans are always like, you know, forever and always absolutely impossible and just disgusting. But <laughs> I mean, it used to be like so intense to the point where my school, when I was a kid during the postseason would tell, would send out things to parents being like, just a reminder, uh, we do not allow sports team apparel to be worn during school hours because kids who were Red Sox fans and kids who were Yankees fans were getting into like full-on brawls at my private Jewish elementary school. I was in, uh, I was living in New York at the time as a Red Sox fan in New York, uh, which is, uh, interest was an interesting time to live there, but I got along with Yankee fans, but I had to, you know, like I, I was not a loud brash Red Sox fan. Uh, but, it's funny, we, I moved out in 05, so I never got to live there long enough to gloat. Okay, let's move on to the next one. 2013, first thing that pops in your head. This is our bleeping city, obviously. Yeah, me too. How, how is that anybody's, like, how is that not somebody's answer, you know? Yeah, I could be cute and say Colton Wong getting picked off or... Or the cop jumping up and down, or just the image of Koji Uehara. But you're right; it has that's that's the moment that you got to think about, and and you know that's the moment there. And I mean, I, I that like that moment like changed my whole life. Yeah, yeah, that one's easy. Strange team in retrospect because it's filled with people. Who are, that was a rebuilding year. It was and that's such what a random, forget. like that was that was Ben Charrington being like, "All right, 2012 was such a dumpster fire. Here's a bunch of random free agents. Like no one even knows who half these guys are." And um, you know, you go from that to David Ortiz being literally the best postseason hitter of all time, Koji being absolutely lights out, um, like. So many guys just stepping up at different moments, like Victorino, uh, Johnny mm. Gomes, Mike Napoli. Like, it was such an unexpected. I think, I, and like, this is why I honestly I go back and forth sometimes between which one do I love more, 04 or 2013? Because 2013 was so unexpected, like, especially because morale was so low after Bobby Valentine yeah. and like that whole disastrous season. And the chicken and beer the year before, like Tito being gone, like the like two years that were just so bad. 
And then the bombing happens. It's like, first of all, you don't even expect anything from the Red Sox to begin with. David Ortiz is starting to get older. So like you're wondering about that, which was terrifying to think about. And then the bombing happens. And you're like, you just don't even like, I mean, like, I remember being so broken and scared. And like, I mean, I had a friend who had a miscarriage because she was looking for her husband who'd run in the marathon and she couldn't find him at the finish line when the bombs went off. Mm. And I had Mm. another friend who my my childhood best friend ran in the marathon. And Mm. I had been there that day with the kids that I used to nanny for. And it was terrifying. And I... I mean, when you think about what's going on in the world right now, when you think about yeah. what's going on in the world right now, like, and you think, and I think back to the, that, that speech, like, it's the prime example of how athletes and sports can change, can make a difference, can heal you, because that World Series, I mean, that 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 season heal. I mean, it didn't. It, we didn't bring back the people that we lost, or the or you know magically fix the broken windows on Boylston Street. But that season healed so much of our pain and brought us together. And it like it did exactly the opposite of what the terrorists were trying to do. And so when I think about 2013, I have a huge like chamber of my heart devoted to that season because. In a way, I mean, in a way, that one meant more. Yeah. Because I watched the impact that it had on people in a different way than like, like the 86 years thing was huge. Like my uncle was born in June 1918. He was four months old when they won the World Series. And then he waited till he was 86 years old to see them win again. He said, I never thought I'd win a world, see them win a World Series. He turned 102 last week. Oh, wow. He's still with us. Yeah. he's like i never thought i'd see them win one i saw them win five and not the one that he was like an infant for but you know and i hear you i I let it slide but 2013 i mean it was i i mean i can't put into words like when i i think about that season i just i feel healed all over again just remembering like watching koji make that out Mm-hmm. Plus, they won it at Fenway, and that made it yeah. more special, too, in a different way that, like, the announcer was like, it hasn't been done in 95 years, and it's at Fenway. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And I, I get emotional thinking about that series. That's, I that's... have, like, literal tears in my eyes right now. <laughs> All right. Well, we have time for one more. Unfortunately, the Red Sox have won one more. So the first thing that pops in your head when I say 2018, first image, person, anything. 2018, Nathan Evaldi. Mm, okay. Because I remember him being the midseason acquisition, him and Steve Pierce. Um, I guess I, so I guess both, it, it's really Nathan Evaldi and Steve Pierce. I remember feeling like they were kind of random when they happened and, and, it, and it was like, well, what the hell do we need these guys for? Um, because Evaldi had been hurt. And he wasn't doing great. And Steve Pierce was older and it was kind of like, well, what's the deal here? Um, And then so quickly, like you have the Yankees series where they swept them and Steve Pierce had a three homer game and then homered the following game. And then I was at game three of the world series in LA for like eight and a half hours. Oh God. And 
Evaldi pitching was like one of the most astounding things I've ever seen. I mean, he pitched longer than Rick Porcello, who had started that game. And every inning was like, you're watching him terrified. And he's just out there like mowing down the batters. And it was so because the thing was like he was doing excellent. And it wasn't like a home run, you know, back and forth between the Sox and the Dodgers. It was like both of their offenses had just like straight up gone to bed. And Evaldi was just out there. And I was like, where the hell is our offense? Like somebody go and like do this for Nate. Like what is happening? It was so infuriating. And he's just going and going and going. And then ultimately, finally, like he gives up the walk off home run to Max Muncie. And a part of me was like so hard, like so relieved I could just go home. Also, because I had forgotten my wallet at home. So like I couldn't even have a drink at the game because I didn't have a wallet. So that sucked. Um, but I was like, I can go home finally. Oh my God. Part of me was so heartbroken for him. And then, you know, I wake up like seven hours later because I went to bed at 3 a.m. I wake up like yeah. six, seven hours later and I'm seeing all these tweets being like every single starting pitcher marched into a Alex Cora's office demanding that they pitch game four. And That's I awesome. was I burst into tears because I was like, that is how like that is how seriously they they care right now. Even Nathan Valdi and Cora was like, his agent's going to kill me. His arm's going to fall off um, because Evaldi had been slated to pitch game four and he couldn't because he had to step in in like the 10th inning. Um, but I mean, it was just such a like incredible martyr performance by him. And then, you know, Steve Pierce the next night and game five, like hitting the home runs bringing them back from like being really beaten down and tired the night before. And like those two really like, cause you know, you remember like JD Martinez was kind of hurt and uh, cause he'd like rolled his ankle or something. And Mookie was like dead for the first four games. Like he, he and JD both homered in game five of the world series. And I was like, Oh, was your flight delayed? Like where, where the hell were you? Yeah. I mean, Mookie historically is not a very good offensive player in his three career postseasons. Like he's just not. And I get, you know, I get crap for saying that on Twitter. They're like, it's a very small sample size. I'm like, really? Most players are lucky if they see one postseason in their career. So three years worth of postseasons, like 21 games is not a small sample size for the postseason for a guy mm -hmm. who's 26 years old. But well, it was so much Pierce and so much Nate throughout. It was, I mean, it was so, like, to see that live, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen of just, like, watching someone just grit it out inning after inning, like, just showing up for his team in the most high-stress situation um, for, like, 97 pitches. Well, I'll tell you my image, and then we'll wrap this up, because the, the thing that pops in my head when I see here the 2018 is the Benintendi catch against the Astros. Oh, yeah, that too. Because up until that, and of course, Kimbrell was giving us all a heart attack and everything. I, even though the Red Sox won more games than Houston, you, people forget Houston had a ton of injuries in 2018, uh, including to the trash cans. The trash cans were hurt. But the uh, there, was, there was a ton of injuries that Houston had during the middle of that season. And the Oakland A's actually caught up with them at one point. And then the Astros went on their aft thrusters and only lost about three or four games 
fewer than the Red Sox. And there was a sense that if they were healthy, they would have had the most wins instead of Boston. And so I really thought the Astros were going to be the better team and go to the World Series. And even when the Sox took two of the first three games, I just thought, yeah, but the Astros are probably going to tie this up and win the series. I was a nervous Nelly. And when they loaded the bases against Kimbrell, I said, here it is. They're going to win this. They're going to tie the series and take control because Price was pitching the next day. At the time, Price was not yeah, a reliable was, pitcher. It was, it was still David Price's career, like 11-0. and 0, uh, like oh, oh, and 11. Oh, and 11. Yeah. yeah. And so there was that sense if the Astros win this, they're going to win tomorrow. They'll be up 3-2, to two, and then they only have to win one. And – it was Bregman hit that line drive and yep. Bregman had been on fire and Benintendi makes the dive. Now, of course, if the ball drops an inch in front of him, they were, the runners were going on contact. There would have been no way that Benintendi could have got up and thrown out the winning run. No way. And the minute he made that catch and he got up and he was screaming and everyone was screaming, that was the moment I remember jumping up thinking, oh, they're up three to one. And I said, well, clearly they're going to lose game five, but they're going to win in Fenway, at least one game in Fenway. And of course, I didn't realize they were going to wind up winning it in five and Price would have the fine game against Verlander. But that's the moment that I remember. And I guess I, I tend to gravitate towards the moments where my body says, oh, they're going to actually win. When I think about Damon and Drew's home run and the Benintendi catch, those were all ALCS moments where I thought, oh, look at that. They're, it's got to happen this year. And so there you have it. Well, hey, look at Gabrielle. We've gone a lot longer than I thought we were going to, but I've, I hope you had fun doing this. I certainly had a lot of fun remembering. These are fun baseball memories. We need more of this. I had fun. I'm also deeply emotional. <laughs> I know. I I am too. That's why I'm cutting it short, cutting it short. We've been doing this for more than 40 minutes. I don't care about cutting it short. This is fun. You're one of my podcasting friends. Let's go down trips down memory lane. This is why we're baseball fans is to have memories that we had from the past and hopefully someday create new memories. So Gabrielle, where can people follow you anywhere? You can follow me on Twitter at GFSTARR1. And you can follow Girl at the Game on Twitter and Instagram at Girl at the Game. Girlatthegame.com has new articles every single week. And the Girl at the Game podcast has new episodes every single week on Apple, Spotify, Libsyn, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, and everything is free. And as I mentioned before, it's a wonderful podcast. You've got great interviews. All right. Hey, Gabrielle, thanks for every for all your work here. Uh, follow us on the free and easy to use Himalaya podcasting app and tell your smart device during these trying times to play podcast Locked On MLB or some of the other great shows on the Locked On Podcast Network, including Locked On Red Sox and Locked On Fantasy Baseball with Scott Cullen. This has been the Locked On MLB Podcast. We went long today and I don't care. This was like game three of the World Series in 2018. We may have gone 18 innings, but who cares? It was fun. Hope you had fun. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.